And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Our series from Romans continues this morning. Please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Verses 1 through 8 will be our focus. Once again, Scripture will remind us today of our great God's absolute faithfulness. Our salvation is entirely secure. We can't lose it once God graciously gives it to us. Consider this. God is other than us. And God is also over us. Pastor Elliot explains. God is absolutely faithful to you, each of you. God is absolutely faithful to me. God is absolutely faithful. We often blow it. We regularly blow hot and cold with respect to our love for God. We regularly blow hot and cold with respect to our leadability by God. But thank God, God is always faithful to us too. 2 Timothy 2.13, just listen. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we as believers are faithless in episodes of life, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Can't lose your salvation. Lose your reward, but you can't lose your salvation. Back to Romans 3, 3 and 4a. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, and even though every man be found a liar. Objection question number three. You ready? Since man's unfaithfulness magnifies the faithfulness of God, is God unjust in condemning man? Think that through. The Jews that were making this objection understood that their unfaithfulness showed off God's mercy and grace. And so they were asking, if that's the case, and it is, is God even just in judging sin if my sin magnifies his mercy and faithfulness? That's twisted thinking. Verses 5 and 6 are very carefully worded. You might say they are tightly wound like the inner side of a golf ball. By that I mean that verses 5 and 6 employ a human teaching technique called diatribe. Diatribe. This is what the parenthetical phrase, I am speaking in human terms, is about in verse 5. Let me read verses 5 and 6. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? And there it is. I am speaking in human terms. And then another meganoito, strongest negative. May it never be. God forbid. Are you crazy? For otherwise, how will God judge the world? Oh, yes, their objection question was, since mankind's unfaithfulness magnifies the faithfulness of God, is God unjust in condemning man? 
Diatribe. Here's the teaching point, the diatribe of verses 5 and 6. Just listen, you'll get it. While our sin magnifies God's righteousness, it never creates God's righteousness. If our sin could create God's righteousness, then God would be unfair in judging our sin. Let me say that again. This is a tightly wound diatribe, a teaching technique, like all the elastics inside a golf ball golfers when you cut the cover off. It's tightly wound reasoning. I'll say it again. Verses 5 and 6 are saying this. While our sin magnifies God's righteousness, it never creates God's righteousness. If our sin could create God's righteous right to judge sin, then God would be unfair in judging our sin. That's the argument. But our sin only magnifies and does not create God's right to judge our sin. God's right to judge our sin is independent of us. He's the creator. We're the creatures. And here's the bottom line of the diatribe of verses 5 and 6. Let me get right to the chase. The bottom line, God's righteous right to judge human sin is established purely by God's own person and character. God's right to judge human sin is solidified purely by God's own person and character. God is other than us. He is over us. He created us. He sustains us. He provides for us. He protects us. God is other than us, and he's over us. That's what gives him the inherent right to judge our sins. Objection question number four. Why is man judged a sinner? Why is man judged a sinner? Please look at verse seven. But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory... Why am I also still being judged a sinner? This question is similar to the previous question, but this question is saying, why is man judged a sinner? Verse 7 again, but if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still judged as being a sinner? Will you notice how verse 7 mentions my lie? And then it references mankind's sin. I'll read it again. But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged a sinner? Verse 7 mentions my lie, which is a way of saying mankind's aptitude or tendency to sin. Verse 7 also mentions the truth of God. See it there? But if through my lie, tendency to sin, the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I still being judged a sinner? So we have right beside each other in verse 7, my lie and the truth of God, lying right beside each other in the same verse. My lie and the truth of God. My lie is a way of saying mankind's propensity to sin, and the truth of God is a reference to God's faithfulness, which is a reference here to God's truth, which is a reference here to God's scripture. So right beside my lie, my tendency to sin, is God's faithfulness in truth to give me the Bible. They're just hanging out together in the same verse, these concepts. 
And so the question of verse 7, therefore, really is this. If mankind's sin causes God's faithfulness to abound and causes God to be glorified, then how can God judge mankind's sin? Rather twisted, self-serving, fleshly reasoning, I would submit. So why is man judged to be a sinner by God? Here's why. Because God is the only just judge, and he knows sin when he sees it. We don't always know sin when we see it. If, if our consciences are warped or twisted, we can almost rationalize sin in our lives. God is pure. God is holy. God is all-knowing. God knows sin when he sees it. Why is man judged to be a sinner by God? Because God is the only just judge, and God knows sin when he sees it, and God must judge sin. It's not enough that God would see sin. It's not enough that God would know about sin. God must judge sin or his holiness is meaningless. And God judged all your sin if you're a believer on the cross of Calvary. All of the wrath, all of the indignation of God on our vileness, all of our sins, past, present, and future, were heaped onto Jesus, the lamb for sinners slain. God has every right to judge sinners Because God is the only just judge, and God is the one who knows sin when he sees it, and God is the true and pure God that must judge sin. God doesn't wink at sin. God doesn't grade us on the curve like some teachers do. Well, his sin is a little less than everybody else's, so I'll give him a pass. Mm -mm. Holy God gives no pass to unpaid for sin in heaven. You either pay for your own sin in hell, or you'll let Jesus Christ pay for your sin here on earth. Those are two options. Sin has to be paid for. The piper must be paid. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, another edition of Youth Talk. Today we want to continue. As we talked about last, we talked about being bold, and we looked at the life of Daniel. And we looked at how him and his friends took a stand and didn't want to eat and defile their bodies of the of the king's food, and they, they, they turned out to be more healthier. And today we want to look at, as we consider, some things that we may have in common with Daniel. Again, in our day and culture, eating vegetables isn't exactly a radical act of boldness and obedience to God. It made sense for Daniel and his friends at the time. But boldness today is going to look a little different for you and me. You may not have been conquered by an enemy nation that wants you to give up your faith in God. But here's what you do have in common with Daniel. You live in a world, a kingdom, or a place where values are not the same and they clash with the priorities of God. In our world today, God gives us commands that sound different than the world's way. The world says, make all the money you can. But Jesus says, to give it away. The world says, an eye for an eye. But Jesus says, to love your enemies. The world says, fame and popularity are the goal. But Jesus says, put others first. The world says, follow your heart, but Jesus says to follow me. Again, as we consider this and we look at the life of Daniel last week, and we saw from that passage of scripture, these four young men who took a stand. And we see in verse 17, it says, God gave these four men knowledge and understanding and every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. You see, Daniel was given a gift. Daniel was a person that stood up. And this would not have happened if he wasn't bold enough to say, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to eat the king's food. You see, like Daniel and his friend, it will require boldness to stand up, 
to stand out and do not conform. You see, we live in a world where we, as Christians, we are going to go against the world all the time. The standards of the world are a lot different than us as Christians. When we look at God's word, that the, the priorities are so much different. And when we consider what Daniel went through, we think of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and it says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Again, it's very clear here that we need to make sure that we as Christians, as, as young people, that you are letting God control your mind, letting God conform your will, let everything about you be about Him. You see, it's so easy to follow after the world and do the things of the world, but when we are taking a stand and going against the green, there can be problems. There can be trials. There can be tribulations. There are going to be times of testing to see how strong your faith truly is. You see, just like Daniel did, Paul encouraged us to live a life that looks different than the rest of the world. He tells us not to conform, but to be transformed by God from the inside out. You see, the Christianity is not about a religion. It's not about what we have on the outside. It's about what's on the inside. It's what, what's going on inside. And the reality is that what's going on the inside is going to come out. You see, standing out is never comfortable or easy. Standing out requires boldness. It requires faith. But this is what God is calling us to, a life that is different, set apart and does not conform to the ways of the world, but to God's kingdom. You see, Daniel made a decision not to be conformed to the parents of the world. And just as we consider that this morning, we, could, we need to look at our own lives and we need to be, do the same thing. You see, we need to fill up on God first. The reality is that we need to fill up on Him first, His Word. We need to meditate on this. This is the only way that we are going to be conformed any different. You see, because when we turn on our television and we look on the Internet, things are so different and, and it's so tempting to do different things. Again, nobody, in a sense, wants to be alone. No one wants to stand up, in a sense, by themselves. But as a Christian, sometimes that's what it takes. And as we start this series, we talk about raw, and we talk about evangelism, and we talked about how we need to be different. The reality is Daniel stood up, his friends stood up, and they had to say nothing because it showed by what they did. Again, for us, there'll be times we're going to have to speak. But again, our actions sometimes speak louder than our words. So I would challenge you this morning as we close that you would not be confirmed to the patterns of the world but that you'd be conformed to the patterns and the priorities of God. Because this is what matters in life. Not what I do for the world, but what I do for God. This is Pastor Nicholas Minaj of your talk. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, I have my friend Patrick Rutherford of Precept Ministries with me this morning in the studio. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Pastor Rowe. Thank you. Patrick, let's have a little visit. Yes. Uh, let our listeners listen into our visit about your ministry. You are with, you are a full-time supported missionary of a, a ministry called Precept Ministries, and I wonder what you and your wife are doing with Precept. What is Precept's mission? Precept Ministries, uh, Pastor Robert, started back in 1970, and the goal then is the goal today, which is to establish people in God's Word. That is a simple but a profound and a very important mission. Absolutely. Um, 
And why why do you and Mona Lisa uh, want to be a part of that particular cause? Oh, Pastor Rob, when we when Mona Lisa and I look at the, the impact God's Word has had on our lives, uh, <laughs> there was a time I used to pray and I say, God, change Mona Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong prayer. <laughs> and God says, I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to change you, Patrick. I'm going to change you through through the study of my Word. And the cool thing about it is that when Mona Lisa and I started studying inductively together, boy, were we so... (laughs) There was so much change that was needed in our lives. And Pastor, we weren't living bad per se, but Mm -hmm. it was more in our thought process. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know what it was to uh, lead my family as a man or to love my wife as a husband or even with the rearing of the children. But God's Word shows you, it tells you. Yes, it does. God's Word coaches us, and that's where the transformational work comes in, from the inside out. Um, And so, you know, I don't want people to think that, you know, there was some drastic sin in my life that was was pending and looming over my head, but a lot of it was my thought. Um, Think about about hatred. Ooh, especially many of us here in the Bahamas, we, we, we hold... Uh, hate badges. Uh-huh. Wow! And it's it's a it's a sin that festers and festers and festers and festers and it eats away at us. But boy, what a beautiful thing when you can go to God's word and God's word says no, let it go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. So you're getting coaching from the highest authority possible. Absolutely. Right. Uh, what is the nature of your ministry? What do you do? What we do is we come alongside the church. We are a parachurch organization. We come alongside the church, regardless of denomination. And with the blessing of the leadership, we teach people how to study the Bible. Ideally, we'd love to teach the leadership how they can in turn turn around and teach their own people how to study the Word of God. So right now, from as far south as Guyana, Trinidad and Barbados, uh, Grenada, St. Vincent, St. Lucia, and a few islands moving up, Jamaica, uh, the Caymans, the Bahamas, Bermuda, uh, all of those islands, we have people on there studying and leading inductive Bible studies on their own without our influence. We're simply coaches. Wow, that's that's a lot of impact yes, sir. for the glory of God. So yes. your particular slice of that pie is mm-hmm. the, uh, the Caribbean. Is, mm-hmm. is that what you just named to me, those places, all of them? That is correct. Wow, that how correct. exciting. What a multiplicational uh, ministry of God's Word. I'm, I can see why you're excited. Um, how do you do what you do? You talk about low, coming alongside a local church. Uh-huh. Well, in the Caribbean region, it's all about relationships. So we spend a lot of time meeting with pastors, church leaders, men's groups leaders, women's groups leaders, youth leaders, and really getting into their lives uh, as it relates to how they transmit God's Word to their people. Those relationships grow from there. Well, once they know what we do, which is an area of Bible study, and I, uh, I shouldn't say it like this, Pastor, but sometimes we have to take that threat out of ministry because there are a lot of ministry work going on within the body of Christ. Some good, some not so good. Yes. And so that pastor, that church leader, has to get comfortable with us, know who we are, um, know of our intent, and so that relationship building time takes some time but once we do uh, we're able to begin to do the work that God's called us to do which is simply showing that man of God that woman of God how to 
with some simple tools, take God's Word, and uh, within a matter of time, a short time, they're able to uh, say, wow, I know what God's Word says. Wow, that's... (laughs) possibly no finer statement to be able to say that and it was true yes yes yes. Um, I'm sure because God's word is active and powerful Mm -hmm. and he said that it won't go out except it accomplished that for which he's purposed Uh that you have lots of success stories but would you just tell us one that comes to mind Ooh, immediately uh, there's a brother in Barbados who called us uh, recently uh, spent six years in seminary school and had never been taught formal Bible study skills, Mm. graduated, uh, I won't call the name of the institution, and uh, he was uh, ministering to his uh, congregation and felt like he was cheating them, wasn't giving them enough, and he stumbled under precept, precept called me, we called him, we went down there uh, uh, last month, uh, December, uh, in Barbados, and we simply, I'm going to use your word, Pastor Rob, we unpacked Psalm 23. Mm -hmm. And to see this pastor's face, he said, we got all of that (laughs) out of Psalm 23? (laughs) No. Um, I know a pastor in Eleuthera, on the island of Eleuthera, who was awfully mean to his wife. Vicious. They would argue at a moment's notice in public and private. Awful. And he agreed He and his wife agreed to meet with Mona Lisa and I for Bible study. And before long, as they were able to see the truths of God's word, Pastor Rob, this brother was going up into the bushes looking for flowers for his wife. Wow. He saw from God's word where he was living a life of sin as it relates to how he treated his wife. Those are wonderful examples. Mm -hmm. We give God glory for them. Absolutely. If there's a listener, Patrick, who maybe Calvary Bible Church is not their church, but mm-hmm. they have their own church, mm-hmm. and they're thinking, boy, our church could benefit from from this kind of an approach. Um, what might they do, respecting their pastor Absolutely. and leadership of their church? What might they do? Well, Pastor Rob, there are a number of things they can do. First of all, pray. Um, cry out and, and ask God what you should do, number one. Number two, uh, we offer a number of classes around town. Um, there are a number of churches here on the island that uh, are using uh, the inductive method here at Calvary. There are a couple of Sunday school classes that are going on. Uh, the, the women's group through the week uh, are, are studying inductively. And then there are a few churches around town. Um, I'm not sure if I should call names, um, but uh, a few churches around town that are uh, studying inductively. But the best way to find out it would simply be to give us a call at the office. Wonderful. What's your phone number? Uh, 225-7100. 225-7100. I encourage you to phone that number and talk more with Patrick or Mona Lisa, his wife. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yes, thank you. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. 
Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29, gives rise to the question, what does it mean to be baptized for the dead? In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 29 to 34, Paul argues the logic of the believer's resurrection from the viewpoint of Christian experience. Within this context, he refers to baptism for the dead. What was Paul referring to? The difficulty of the question is evidenced by the fact that there are at least 36 interpretations of this phrase. The key word in the phrase is the Greek word hooper which can be rendered in behalf of in Romans 10 verse 1 or in the place of 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. Morris takes the first opinion. He understands that Paul is referring to an abnormal baptismal rite that was peculiar to the Corinthians. Believers were using proxy baptism to immerse those who had died before they had been baptized. This practice did not meet with Paul's approval, but he simply refers to it in his attempt to show the logic of believing in the resurrection. The major difficulty with this view is that in the first century, Christian baptism was administered without delay. See Matthew 28, 19 and Acts 8 verses 35 to 38 and Acts 10 verses 47 to 48. It is not at all likely that there would have been a significant number of people in Corinth who had believed but who had not been baptized. The other option for Hooper is to understand that Paul is referring to those who are baptized in the place of dead believers. Accordingly, Paul may refer to adding new converts to take the place of those who have died. Baptized would be understood to refer to all that baptism signifies, evangelism, conversion, and church growth. According to this view, Paul is saying, your efforts at evangelism and church growth are to no avail if the dead are not raised. Since you are doing these things, you should believe in the resurrection. Although the Corinthians knew exactly what Paul was referring to, it remains unclear to modern interpreters. But while we have lost touch with this cultural element, Paul's message remains clear. Baptism, hooper, or for or on behalf of the dead, is to no avail apart from the resurrection. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a Savior.